This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we visit once again with George Burns and Gracie Allen. Now, I've told you many times how they met, performed on the stages of vaudeville, and over the seven decades of entertaining were considered to be a major factor in the evolution of comedy teams. So, rather than spout all of that again, I'd simply like to throw the spotlight on George Burns, the writer. As most of you know, he was the one who wrote most of their material. So, just before we hear the episode, How Jack Benny Became Cheap, here are a few George Burns quotes. I'd rather be a failure at something I love than a success at something I hate. You know you're getting old when you stoop to tie your shoelaces and wonder what else you could do while you're down there. It only takes one drink to get me drunk. The trouble is I can't remember it's the 13th or the 14th. Happiness? Well, a good cigar, a good meal, a good cigar, and a good woman... Or a bad woman. It depends on how much happiness you can handle. The secret of a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending, and having the two as close together as possible. Or my personal favorite here, happiness is having a large, loving, close-knit family in another city. And now, Burns and Allen on Zoomer Radio. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George. Sure, pour me a cup, Gracie. If it's free, I'll have a cup, too. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last drop. That drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With our special guest, Jack Benny, yours truly, Toby Reed, Joseph Kearns, Harry Lubin of the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For America's Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for America's everyday coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. Today we find the Burnses sitting in a booth in the Brown Derby restaurant. It seems their old friend, Jack Benny, has invited them to lunch, and they're waiting for him to arrive. <laughs> Gracie, I wish you hadn't told me Jack were... were I wish you hadn't arranged Jack, uh, for us to have lunch with Jack. It's it's always so embarrassing. Uh, what do you mean? One of those lousy tips he leaves. <laughs> he's been eating here five years, and he's yet to tip more than a dollar. Well, a dollar isn't a bad tip. That's for the five years. <laughs> Besides, if we're his guests, he'll, he'll make us order crackers and milk. The cheapest thing on the menu. Well, Judge, I wish you wouldn't talk that way about Jack. He's always been awfully nice to me. 
Did you see the birthday present he sent me? Why, no. Well, it's a coupon which entitles me to a year's subscription to Harper's Bazaar. From Jack? Mm-hmm. All I have to do is fill it out and send it in with $7. <laughs> $6. Well, Jack gets a dollar commission. <laughs> Jack Benny hasn't put his hand in his pocket. January will be 80 years. <laughs> what can be keeping him? Doesn't he know what time it is? No. He's too tight to buy a watch. He tells time by the sun. Oh, George tells time by the sun. I'm not kidding. Shh. Here he comes. Oh, hello, George. Hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Hi, Jack. Jack. I'm sorry I'm late, kids. These cloudy days throw me. <laughs> what did I tell you? Oh, waiter. Oh, waiter, we're ready to order. Yes, sir. Would madame like to start with a cocktail? Oh, no, thanks. I never drink. <laughs> I meant a shrimp cocktail. No matter how small it is, I never drink. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Burns will have a steak, and I'll have a broiled lobster. Steak and broiled lobster? Well, they're both very good here, but as long as you're in the brown derby, you really should order the specialty of the house, the crackers and milk. <laughs> oh, I've changed my mind. I won't have a steak. Good, good. I'll have lamb chops. <laughs> well, the, the crackers are very crisp here. They put the crumbs in a sack so you can take them home. <laughs> Enjoy the lamb chops. We serve them with little paper panties on. Don't your legs get cold? <laughs> that's, that's our order, waiter. Uh, how about you, Jack? I'll have crackers and milk. <laughs> says, here, I'll take it. I'll just keep my big mouth shut. How do you like this place? They refuse to give me extra crackers. Just wait till they ask me to put more bluing in their tablecloth. <laughs> I'll show them. Excuse me, gentlemen. Here's your check. That'll be $10.30. Here, I'll take it. I won't fight you. <laughs> I don't want the check. 
case, we'll fight. <laughs> You're the stingiest man who ever lived. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. Well, don't act so proud. You're not the first one who ever said that. <laughs> now, please, please, don't get into a fight. There's no point to it. No point to it? You're the only two men in the world who couldn't hurt each other. <laughs> well, I'm not paying this, Jack. After all, Jack, you invited us to lunch. Sure, I make a nice gesture. This is a thanks, I guess. <laughs> Mom's extra dry. Well, then let her drink it. 
Uh-huh. I thought he was playing y'all tuna. Yeah. He was, but he got into an argument with the manager. He said he'd never play that theater again as long as he lived. What'd the manager say? That was the manager talking.
It all comes back to me now, Gracie. From that night on, Jack Benny was a tightwad. Yeah, it was that blow on the head that did it. George, do you realize what this means? It's our fault that Jack is stingy. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, then it's up to us to change him back. Yeah, I've got it. Hit him over the head with his violin again. <laughs> yeah, that might do it. But I can't do that again. Why not? Well, we were young guys then. I can't hit a man with gray hair. <laughs> we'll take it off. <laughs> <laughs> He says the blow on the head might turn Jack Benny into generous Jack the Plunger. Oh, wonderful. But he says we'll have to create the same situation we were in 16 years ago. Oh, but George, he, he was proposing to me when you hit him. He can't do that now. I'm married to you. Well, you'll have to pretend that we've split up and that you're single again. You get Jack to give you a date. Well, maybe he won't do it. I, I'm not as young and pretty as I used to be. Oh, Grace. Huh? Gracie, you haven't changed since the day I married you. You're young, lovely, sweet, desirable. Oh, thank you, George. You haven't changed either. I haven't? No, you felt the same way about me then. Yeah, well, run along and see Jack. Yes? Oh, oh, hello, Gracie. Hello, Jack. I suppose you came over to apologize for George's behavior at lunch yesterday. Well, no. Why should I care what my ex-husband does? Ex-husband? Oh, didn't you know? It was in all the columns. Well, I haven't been getting the paper lately. <laughs> the Coleman's have it brought right into their house now. <laughs> So you and George have called it off, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm single again. I'd uh, even have a date if a very attractive man asked me. I'd love to ask you, of course. I'm not as attractive as I used to be. Huh? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you are, Jack. Oh, go on. I'm much older than I was then. Oh, no, you're not. You're still 39. <laughs> You've never married Jack. Oh, I guess I've been waiting for you, Gracie. Is there, is there still a chance for me? Well, maybe. You used to say that the girl you married would have everything. Mink coat, Cadillac, diamonds, and all the money she could spend. Do you, do you still feel that way? Certainly. That's why I want to marry you. You've got all those things. <laughs> Gee, Gracie, we were meant for each other. Now, how about it? Oh, I don't know, Jack. You have to caught me first. Again? Uh-huh. Call on me tonight and bring the orchid. But I did all that. That was 16 years ago. Well, didn't you save them? <laughs> you know, they keep forever in the icebox. Well, as a matter of fact, I do have a lot of the things you gave me. I keep them pressed between the pages of a book. You brought me such nice flowers. I used to bring you candy, too. Yeah, I wish I'd get that book open. <laughs> Well, I'll see you tonight, Gracie. Yeah, well, it's a date, Jack. And be sure and bring your violin. Okay. Come 
Can we have an evening with Beethoven? No, come by yourself. <laughs> George, Jack Benny will come courting me tonight, just like he did 16 years ago. That's great. Now, we want to duplicate that tonight exactly, so you arrive after Jack has been here for a while. Just a minute. I like the idea of leaving you alone with that old gray wolf. <laughs> Might try to kiss you. Oh, George, relax. He's bringing his violin. So what? So by the time he carries out over, he'll be all tired. <laughs> Okay, I'll go down to the drugstore. See you later. Oh, kiss me goodbye. Okay. Judge, have you been carrying violins? <laughs> no, just the rosin. I'll see you later. <laughs> well, here I am, Gracie. Oh, Jack, how nice. This is just like old times. Do you still like flowers? Love them. Well, here you are, baby. Here's enough flowers to fill this room. Oh, how nice. A package of seeds. <laughs> I mean, after all, it's spring. You know, half the fun of flowers is watching them grow and seeing them raise their tiny green heads. Which reminds me, George won't be around tonight. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, Jack. He might drop by later. I better get down on my knees and propose to you right now before he gets here. <laughs> Darn it, I'm too late. I heard a door open. That was your knee. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Gracie. Oh, Jack Benny. What are you doing down on your knees? <laughs> Never mind. Just help me up. <laughs> I want you to marry me. You married her once. Give somebody else a chance. <laughs> well, George, if you're proposing, get down on your knees like Jack. Okay. <laughs> oh, isn't this thrilling? Two fiery lovers bidding for my hand. Hey, George. George, does this cold floor bother your rheumatism? <laughs> And I found some stuff that's awfully good. Really? What is it? I've tried everything. It's a new liniment. Works wonders. Mm. That's for me. My knees have been killing me. Isn't the rainy season just torture? <laughs> Off. I must get that liniment. I'll let you try some of mine. <laughs> some fiery lovers. We'll have to honeymoon at the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> and Jack Benny down on their knees? What goes on here? Well, can't you guess, Phil? Somebody dropped a penny, huh? <laughs> guess again, comedian. Phil, we happen to be proposing marriage. Well, I hope you'll be very happy together. <laughs> Would you like to drop back in about two weeks? Oh, not, not me. I want to stick around and see who asks who what and what the answer is. <laughs> Phil, look, Dimple. Uh, we're proposing marriage to Gracie. You see, George and Gracie aren't married anymore. Gracie, is this true? Well, uh, uh, yes, Phil. I, I'm single now, but uh, 
George wants me to marry him again and go to Jack Benny. I, I can't decide between them. Can't decide between them? Gracie, this is your chance to marry one of the biggest stars in the country, a, a man with a great future in television. Yes, yes, I was good, you know. Not only, not only a great talent, but loaded with personality, charm, good looks, and blue eyes. Gracie, you lucky girl, this is your chance to marry me. <laughs> you? Scrambler, you're lousing up everything. Pay no attention to him, Gracie. I'm asking you to be the mother of my children. How many have you got? <laughs> None yet, but in a couple of years or so, I'm sure we'll hear the patter of little feet. Well, marry me, Gracie, and we'll hear the patter of little feet tomorrow. Tomorrow? Sure, you'll be running back and forth to the kitchen bringing me Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> Think how happy we'll be, Gracie, with rich, delicious, mellow Maxwell House coffee from morning till night. Well, if you're going to get commercial about this, she can marry me and feel her level best. <laughs> oh, you serve Maxwell House coffee too, huh? Isn't it great, Jack? You know, Maxwell House is a blend of choice Latin American coffees Radiant roasted to the peak of flavor perfection. Bill, I meant that if Gracie married me, we'd have plenty of luckies. L luckies? Yes. What do I work for? Darn if I know you got all the money in the world. Because <laughs> you can buy Maxwell House for the Carlos. And Maxwell House is America's favorite coffee. Always good to the last drop. How about it, Gracie? Will you marry me? Well, I'm sorry, Bill, but it's between George and Jack. But don't feel bad. Whichever one I choose, you'll be the best man at the wedding. Well, obviously. The lie. <laughs> How about it, Gracie? How about it? Will you marry me? No, she's going to marry me. But, Gracie, George has no future. I mean, radio's passe. I'll be a sensation in that new business, television. Well, so will George. In fact, I've heard lots of people say that television would collapse without him. They said it would collapse without George? That's right. They said that George single-handed is holding up television. <laughs> How they meant that. Look, I know how to settle this, Gracie. I'll serenade. George, hand me my Stradivarius. This violin is a Stradivarius? Certainly. I got it from Sam Stradivarius, the pawnbroker. Oh, Sam. <laughs> now, let me have it. Well, here I am, George. Let him have it. I'll be glad to. Oh. Thank <laughs> you. 
Thurston. But we'll have as our guest Robert Montgomery. Good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House. Stay tuned for Nick Carter, Master Detective, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Nick Carter, Master Detective, and the episode State Prison Evidence, first aired in 1943. What's the matter? What is it? Another case for Nick Carter, Master Detective. Yes, it's another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective. Tonight's curious adventure... State's prison evidence on Nick Carter and the mystery of the midnight robbery. Pardon me, uh, could you let me have a line? Certainly. There you are. Swell night, isn't it? Yes, indeed. It's a pleasure to walk on a night like this. Yeah. Well, thanks. Not at all. Good night. Good night. Yes, even in a big city like this, the stars are just... Oh! What? Oh. I wonder what's wrong with her. Oh. I beg your pardon, but is there anything I can do? Oh. Can I help you? Is, is something wrong? Murder! Murder? Who is it? My uncle. When did it happen? I don't know. Well, where is he? In the library. In this big house right here? Yes. Oh, it's awful. You shouldn't be out here in your night clothes. It's too chilly. Come. Let me take you back to the house. Come on. Yes. Back to the house. Did you call the police? No, I... I just saw him lying there in a pool of blood. Then I... I came out here to get help. Well, I'm Nick Carter, the detective. I'll be glad to help you if I can. Now, careful going up the steps. There we are. Now, you'll show me the library. He's in there. Oh, yes, I see. He's dead, all right. Who found him? The housekeeper. She came in late and... Saw a light still on in here. She looked in to see if he needed anything and saw... Then she called you? Yes. And you are... I'm Ella Jabot, his niece. I've lived here with him for the last five years since my mother died. I see. Has anything been touched since the body was found? No. Nobody's been in here at all. Good. Shot through the head. Close range. Looks as if he did it himself. No. No. Well, here's the pistol that was used right beside him. Did you hear the shot? No. I sleep at the opposite end of the house. Oh, Mr. Carter, please find whoever killed my uncle. What makes you think he didn't kill himself? He wouldn't do a thing like that. I know it. Well, that's hardly evidence, Miss Ella. Did you see this note? Note? I know. Your uncle apparently left it propped up here in his desk. Addressed to Mrs. Sarah Jarbeau, 7 Dunner Street, City. Do you know her? I never heard of her. What does it say? Let's see. My dear madam, you've been a widow, in fact, ever since the hour following our marriage. But before daybreaks, 
You'll be a widow in name also, for I shall be dead. I have at last learned the truth. The one who told me right after our wedding ceremony that you were everything evil has at last confessed that you were really as good as I believed you to be. It's too late for me to ask you to forgive me for the great wrong I've done you. So I'm taking this way of making what amends I can. The upper drawer of my desk is my will. which leaves everything to you. The repentant husband, Enos Charbot. Well, that's a remarkable document. Did you know anything about your uncle ever having been married? Oh, I, I never heard that before. Well, that note would seem to prove it was suicide. I know better. May I see that note? Of course. Here. I knew it, Mr. Carter. My uncle didn't kill himself, and he didn't write this note either. Isn't that your uncle's handwriting? It looks very much like it, but he didn't write it. Uncle didn't use this kind of pen. What do you mean? Uncle Enos was very proud of his handwriting, and he never used anything but a special type of old-fashioned steel pen point. It has a very fine point. I see. Yes. This note was undoubtedly written with a stub point. Another thing, Mr. Carter. Uncle never wrote anywhere except at his desk here. And this desk has been locked since yesterday morning, and I have the key. How long have you had it? I borrowed it yesterday morning because I had some letters to write, and I've had it ever since. Is there another key to this desk? No. Uncle would never write anywhere else. You're quite a convincing detective, Miss Ella. And if you're right, this can't be suicide in spite of the other evidence. I know I'm right. Uncle would never have taken his own life. I believe you. And I'm just curious enough about this to do a little investigating myself. If I'm as good a detective as you are, I'll find your uncle's murderer in short order. You think this Mrs. Sarah Blake is the woman you want, Nick? I'm not sure, Patsy. But when the maid told me that she never heard of Mrs. Sarah Jarbeau, but that Mrs. Sarah Blake lives here, I thought I'd better talk to her. She might be Mrs. Jarbeau using her maiden name. Here she comes now. You uh, wish to speak to me? I'm looking for Mrs. Sarah Jarbeau. Do you know her? I do. I am Sarah Jarbeau. You were right, Nick. My name is Bill Peters. I'm a reporter. I'm writing a story on the sudden death of your husband, Enos Jarbeau. Oh, the poor man. He died to make up to me for my years of heartbreak. Yes, I, I saw the note he left. Would you please tell me what happened? Well, I met him one summer on the coast of Maine. We were married in the fall. We took a train for Boston. And on the way, he went into the smoking car to smoke a cigar. I never saw him again. Why, that's terrible. Why didn't he come back? I only know that when the train reached the station, a messenger gave me $500 and a note. It said that he had learned I was not a good woman, and that I should never see him again. But didn't you try to clear it up? No. If he believed it, I would never seek to persuade him otherwise. I've worked as a governess ever since. I see. Well, uh, thank you very much, Mrs. Jarbo. Come along, Patsy. Goodbye, Mrs. Jarbeau. I hope you'll be happy now. Thank you, and goodbye. Hmm. She certainly got a tough break. You know, Patsy, I was prepared to doubt everything she told me, but somehow I'm inclined to believe her story, even if it does spoil my theory that she's part of an elaborate put-up job. Which way are you going from here? Oh, I think I'll... Pardon me. Uh, would you let me have a light? Yes, of course. Here you are. Thanks. Nice day, isn't it? Yes, very pleasant. Thanks. So long. So long. Well, come along. Uh, wait a minute. I'd met that man somewhere before. He asked me for a light just that same way. Where was it? Well, of course. It was outside Jarbo's house last night, right after the murder. You mean you think he... Wait a minute. Watch a minute. I want to see if he... 
Yes. He's going into the house we just left. Right. If he and Mrs. Jarboe know each other, the chances are her story is a pony. Oh, but Nick, she's still... I know it, I know it, Patsy, but this changes things. Patsy, I want you to find out what you can about old Eno Jarboe's past. Find out about that marriage, if there ever was one. But first, call Scubby and tell him to get here right away. Okay. That man leaves before Scubby gets here. I'll follow myself. Otherwise, Scubby can tail him. But I've got to know where he goes and what he does. Right now, he's our one positive clue. Is it all right to talk in here, Nick? The lobby of a big hotel is probably the safest place in the world to talk in, Scubby. Well, what'd you find out? Well, I followed him over to a saloon over on 3rd Avenue. Yeah? There was a fellow waiting there for him. I tried to hear what they talked about, but all I could get was the name Jarbeau. Yeah, I heard that several times. I thought so. But just as I was really getting in close, a couple of plainclothes cops came along and pinched him. Pinched him? What for? Well, it seems he broke out of state's prison three days ago. I heard the cops call him Barney McCoy. Barney McCoy. Yeah. Jailbird from state's prison. Ah, pardon me, Scubby. Want to speak to the desk clerk? Oh, sure, Nick, but what do you have to... Oh, clerk, I'd like to speak to the governor's suite, please. Yes, Mr. Carter. Uh, use booth number two right over there, please. Thank oh, you. Nick, what in the world do you want to talk to the governor for? Just having a remember, Scubby. Stopping at this very hotel for a few days. I want him to do me... Uh... Hello, Mr. Secretary. Well, this is Nick Carter. I'd like to speak to the governor a moment, if I may. Thank you. Hello, Governor. This is Nick Carter. Fine, thanks. Governor, I want to go to state's prison. Oh, no, not as a visitor. I want to go as a convict. Nick, are you nuts? No, I mean it. You can spare me five minutes. I think I can convince you. Thanks. I'll be right up. Ella, I asked you to meet me here at my office because I'm going to be out of town for a few days. And I want to have everything straight before I leave. Uh, Has anything further happened? Nothing, Mr. Carter. Except that Mrs. Jarbeau has installed herself in the house as its mistress. She's very unpleasant to me. I know she'd like me to leave. Now you stay right there. Did the will leave anything to you? No, Mr. Carter. Everything went to her. I can't understand it. I can. That will is forged. But the will is an uncle's handwriting, and both the witnesses to the will have identified their signatures as genuine. And the will was found where the note said it would be. But nevertheless, I'm convinced the will's a fake. Betsy, what did you find out? Nina Jarbeau and Sarah Blake were married right enough. I found the record in a little church on the south side. Hmm. Sarah really is his wife. Forged will doesn't make sense. And neither does a suicide note, which Jarbeau didn't write. Maybe he did kill himself after all, Mr. Carter. Maybe he just forgot about me. I don't believe it, Ella. I don't either. And Ella, I'm going to prove I'm right, even if I... even if I have to go to jail to do it. Oh, you're the new man. Yeah, Warden. What's your name? Max Herbert. Where were you born? Buffalo, New York. How old are you? 33. Nationality? American. Married? Nope. Crime? Housebreaking. Very well. The guard will take you to the photographers and then to the laboratory. Well, fella, you've been here three days. How do you like working in this shoe shop? I don't like it. I'm not cut out for it. What are you in for? Second story job. What did I get you for? Cracking a safe. There's four of us. Two of them got away. Me and McCoy was nailed cold. 
McCoy. Hey, you wouldn't mean Barney McCoy, would you? Yeah. Yeah, you know him? Sure, know him well. Great guy. Yeah, sure is. And you know his wife? Yeah, some. He's a darn smart woman, Eddie is. Eddie? Yeah. Thought her name was Sarah. No, no, his wife's Eddie. Sarah was his sister. Yeah, they look so much alike, you couldn't tell one from the other. Yeah. Well, what became of Sarah? I don't know. She married some rich guy for his money, but left it flat. I don't know what happened after that. Eddie's still in town waiting for Mac to get out. Yeah, he did break out a few days ago. He just caught him and brought him back here. Yeah. Yeah, they got him on the rock pile for trying to escape. Hey, cut out that talking, you guys. Get back to work. Okay, okay. So Barney McCoy's on the rock pile now. I rather think I'd like to be transferred to the rock pile myself. Hey, Barney. Yeah. Look. You've known me now for almost two weeks. Yeah. So what? You know, I wouldn't give you a bum steer, don't you? What are you leading up to, Max? I'm working on a way to get out of here. Before I come up here, I heard you on the level. I'd like to let you in on it. Where did you ever hear of me outside this place? Oh, the big town. A girl named Sarah told me about you. What? You married her sister, Eddie. You know Sarah? Sure. About five, six years ago. Haven't seen her since, though. Uh, Sarah's, uh, Sarah's in Europe now. Yeah. When are you planning on getting out of here? As soon as I get the necessary people lined up. If I had some dough, we could get out of here tomorrow. How much do you need? About 200 to start with. Okay. I'll have it for you tomorrow. Okay, Max. You get that stuff and we'll get out of here in two days. <laughs> All right, you get five minutes to talk. Hey, Nick, why don't you... Hold it, hold it. I'm Max Herbert in here. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have remembered. How in the world did you ever get in this place? Well, the governor fixed it so that I was caught red-handed rubbing the home of a friend of his. When they caught me, I had the family silver in one hand and the family jewels in the other. <laughs> it was easy. And now you arranged to be transferred to the gang where McCoy's working. Well, have you found anything? Yes. But it's all circumstantial. But Barney McCoy and I are breaking out of here day after tomorrow. And I'm hoping to get some proof then. Are you sure you're getting out of here? Yes. One of the keepers is working with us. Oh. I think this same keeper fixed McCoy's getaway last time. And I also think, from what I've heard, that he may have helped in Jarbo's murder. Yeah? I've learned positively that he was absent from the prison on leave that day. But isn't there danger if you're getting hurt if you try to break out of here? Of course there is. I have to take that chance. I've got to stick to McCoy. Don't worry, Scubby. I'll be all right. I hope... <laughs> All set, McCoy. All set. Everything's fixed. Good. You see that delivery truck over there, Max? Yeah. Well, that's going to break down when it tries to start. I get it. We'll have to help it get out of the yard here. Right. Listen. He's trying to start it now. The guard all set. Sure. Mike's with us all the way. Same as before. Hey! You over there! That's us. Come on. Grab him. Give us a hand with this truck. Okay. What's the matter? Motor won't start. Have to give him a push. You two get a whole hand, give him a start. Okay, Mike. Rest of you guys get back to work. All right, get your shoulder behind it, Max. Okay. Let's go. All right. Hey, All right, again. 
Hey, once more. Well, come on, get it going. We ain't got all day. Hey. So as the motor starts, jump on the truck. Right, I got you. Okay, again. There. Come on, Max. I'm in. Get down so they can't see you. Look, bridge over the railroad tracks is just ahead. When we get over the tracks, be ready to jump. Be right with you. All right, now. Come on. Right behind you, Barney. Jump on the tender of that engine below us. Now. Okay. You all right, McCoy? Yeah. Come on, engineer. Give her all the steam you got. Don't stop the talk. You, fireman, feed the coal to her. I don't want to use this gun unless I have to. Watch out, Max. The outside wall of the prison is just ahead. You'd better duck. There's going to be shooting. Right, McCoy. All okay so far? Oh, here it comes. Watch it. Uh, look at the pour it out. <laughs> Well, we're out of jail now, and for good. It's good to see you back in your office again, Mr. Carter. Yes, it's good to be back here, Ella. Now, tell me, have you learned anything interesting since I last saw you? I think so, Mr. Carter. Well, let's have it. A few months ago, our housekeeper spent about a month visiting her son in California. Before she went, she put an ad in the paper for a temporary housekeeper. Several women answered the ad, and uh, Mrs. Martin was given the job. She had light brown hair and wore dark glasses. I disliked her on sight, and I'm sure she disliked me. When our housekeeper returned, this Mrs. Martin left, and I never saw her again until the day my uncle was buried. What do you mean, Ella? On that day, she presented herself as my uncle's widow. Your uncle's widow? Yes, Mr. Carter. When she first came to live in the house after the funeral, I thought there was something very familiar about her. But not until a few days ago did I suddenly realize that Mrs. Jarbeau was Mrs. Martin, with black hair instead of brown and without her dark glasses. Ella, could you swear to that? No, but some of her little mannerisms, certain tricks of speech, uh, a funny way of walking, all make me positive. That explains the mystery of how the fake will was forged. While Mrs. Martin was substituting for the housekeeper, she could have found out about the will, taken it out, had a new one forged, and then returned it. The night your uncle was murdered, the forged will was substituted for the original one in the desk drawer by using a duplicate key that had been prepared in advance. And it might interest you, Nick, to know that when Ella told me this the other day, I checked at the house where we first met Mrs. Jarbeau. The woman there told me that Mrs. Jarbeau was away on a visit during the month that Mrs. Martin took the place of Ella's housekeeper. Good work. That settles it, Betsy. Just a minute, Mr. Carter. There's another thing you better know. Something else? Yes, Mr. Carter. Last evening, a strange man came to the house. He and Mrs. Jarbeau were apparently old friends because she called him Mac. Barney McCoy. She took him up to her room where I heard them talking for a long time. I tried to hear what they were saying but couldn't get close enough. But I did hear him say it was time to get that girl out of the way for good. Hmm. And then Mrs. Jarbeau said that now that Mac was back, it was time to wind up the job. Well, Ella, if everything goes as I hope it will... We'll be the ones to wind up the job, not Mrs. Jarbeau. Anything else you want me to do? Yes. Meet me in the rear of your home tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. We'll make our final arrangements then. In the meantime, sit tight and keep your ears and eyes open. Mr. Carter? Mr. Carter? Is that you, Ella? Yes, Come into the living room here. We can talk better. Okay. Sure there's no one around? Not now. 
That man, Mac, was here earlier, but he left quite a while ago. Mrs. Jarbeau has gone up to her room. We can talk safely here. All right. Don't turn on the light. Maybe seen. We can talk just as well in the dark. Whatever you say. Now tell me, does Mrs. Jarbeau know you've ever seen this man, Mac? Oh, no. I've kept out of the way whenever he's been around. Good. Do you know what he came here for this evening? There was talk about chloroform and poison. And then she told him the lawyer for the, for the estate was here this afternoon mm-hmm. and said that she would be in full legal possession of the estate in another few days. I see. And then he said that if that was the case, it was the time to act before it was too late. Well, it's time for us to act, too. I think we'd better... Quiet. Somebody's unlocking the door through which we came. Maybe they won't come in here. Who's in this room? I can't see you in the dark, but I know you're there. Who's there? Who are you? None of your business. Speak up or I'll shoot. If you do, you'll never live to see another What's day. What's going on in here? Why isn't the light off? Mrs. Jabot, Ella, what are you Barnaby doing Barnaby Croy, you... Max Herbert, by all this holy. What are you doing here? Why, I, uh... Oh, you see, Barney, I, uh... Yeah? He's here because he loves me. Don't you know this man is an ex-convict? You ought to be serving a sentence in state's prison right now. Yes, I know that. Well, that's why we had to meet like this, Barney. Is this true, Ella? Yes, Mrs. Jarboe, it is. Hmm. Look here, you. You interviewed me a couple of weeks ago, said you were writing a story for your paper. You said then your name was Peters. Now you say it's Herbert. Well, my real name is Herbert Peters, ma'am. You see, I... And you. I, uh... What are you doing here? I'm a night watchman on duty in this neighborhood. I saw this man come in here and followed him. Recognized him as a suspicious character. You're both lying. Get out of here, both of you, immediately. And as for you, Ella, get upstairs at once. I'll deal with you later. Well, that's all the thanks I get for trying to protect your place against thieves. I will get out. Come on, you. Go ahead, Barney. I'm coming. Good night, Ella, dear. And see that you never come back, either of you. Hey, Max. Yeah? Was that story about you and the girl straight? Why, sure, Barney. Wasn't your story on the level? Well, to tell you the truth, I was going to see if I could find a few things I could swipe. (laughs) I'm flat broke. You haven't got a few bucks on you, have you? Sure, Barney. I can let you have a ten spot. What? Yeah. Gee, thanks, pal. I won't forget you for this. Forget it. Yeah, we sure were lucky to get out of there so easy. Yeah. You thought the old dame was going to have us pinched. You're under arrest, both of you. So don't try to have it. Right. right. There you go. Stop. 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 Oh, shoot. No, you don't. You let go of my arm. You made me miss it. So what? Yep. Well, I got you anyway. You won't get away. You're going back to state's prison again, Mr. Max Herbert. Oh, you know my name, do you? I sure do. And I know yours, Ben Lyon. But what? You know me? Hey, let me look at you. Gladly. Come over on the street light. All right. You know me now? Well, Nick Carter. <laughs> well, I'll be... Well, gosh, I'm sorry, Mr. Carter, but a, a woman just called the station, said she'd passed two escaped convicts in front of her house, and if we hurried, we could pick them up. Even give us their names, too, well, so I... Need... Now, Ben, listen to me. I'm on the trail of something big. Have the lieutenant and eight men meet me at 12 o'clock tomorrow night at the back of the Jarbeau place across the street where they won't be seen. Okay. Be sure to tell them not to fail me, because I expect to capture the murderers of Enos Jarbeau. <laughs> 
Posted as we agreed, Scubby. Yes, Nick. Outside and inside the house. Good. They have orders to let anybody come up here, but to let nobody go downstairs again. And we're ready for the finale in this case. What's that you've got there, Nick? It's a new type of microphone, Patsy. Oh. I've attached it to the wall between this room and Mrs. Jarbo's room. Mm-hmm. Through the vibration of the wall, it'll pick up whatever is said in her room. And whatever is picked up is amplified so that it's loud enough for us to hear it. The amplifier also has a recording device which makes a permanent record of the conversation on a wire tape. Gosh, what will they think of next? Right now. Let's listen. I'll turn it on. But I tell you, Barney, we can't lose. In a few more days, the whole Jarbaugh estate will be mine, legally. I know, Addie, but can you handle that girl for a few days more? Well, if I can't, we'll give her what we gave the old man. Do we have to? If she's dead, we know she ain't going to bother us. So, is that... What the devil's that? Quiet. How do I know? The housekeeper's answering us. Hey, somebody's coming up here. Did you tell anybody you were no. sleeping? Anybody here? Mike, Mike, what are you doing here? Well, that's a fine question to ask me. I'm here because you sent for me. Who sent for you? You did, McCoy. You're crazy. I did nothing of the kind. I so got you your note this you. morning. It is. What? Come to Sharpo House tonight, but not before 12. Everything okay. Very right. important. And it's signed, Barney. Listen, I never wrote that note. Well, if you didn't, it means trouble for us. Somebody else knows about this business besides us three. You, you mean we're caught? We ain't caught yet. But we will be if we don't watch our step. Even now, I was better. afraid of this. I knew I should have kept down a bit. Ah, shut up, you rat. You're not in jail yet. But I'm going to be. I can feel it coming. Don't shut up, Mike. I'll bring you. You did it, McCoy. You fired the shot that killed the old man. I just shut up. Get this guy right off. Come on, kids. It's enough of that. Let's go. Right with you, Nick. I'll take it easy, Sarah. Wait a minute, will you? I can't wait any longer. Get your hands up, both of you. You're no funny business. Max, what are you... No, McCoy, not Max. Nick Carter. Nick Carter? You ain't got nothing on us. Oh, Nick's got enough on you three to send you to the chair. Yes, McCoy, we know the whole plot from beginning to end. Tell him what we found out, Nick. What do you mean? It means I know that Sarah married Jarbo, and that shortly afterwards she died. You, Addie, her sister, married McCoy. When Sarah died, you found her marriage certificate and decided to use your resemblance to her to get the old man's money. McCoy was in prison then, but you arranged with a guard, Mike, here to help McCoy escape when the time was ripe. Then to pay Mike for his trouble, you cut him in on the deal. Then you, Eddie, got that temporary job here as a housekeeper, which was an unexpected break. While you were here, you had the fake will made. Then when all was ready, McCoy escaped as planned. Mike came with him, and between the three of you, you chloroformed old Jarbeau, and then shot him in such a way that it looked like suicide. How do you know it wasn't suicide? The suicide note you left for the old man. Whoever Addie got to forge that will for her did such an expert job that the witnesses recognized their own forged signatures as genuine. But whoever wrote that suicide note was so clumsy that he wrote it with a blunt-pointed fountain pen instead of the sharp-pointed steel pen that was the only pen Jarbo ever used. That ain't proof. That's guessing. We've got plenty of proof, McCoy. And if that isn't enough, to top it all off, the conversation in this room between you three crooks has been recorded in full for the past 20 minutes. And if that isn't practically a confession and good legal evidence in any court, my name isn't Nick Garter. This was another strange experience of Nick Carter, Master Detective, called State's Prison Evidence, 
or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Midnight Murder. Another of the curious adventures of Nick Carter, which are brought to you regularly at the same time each week by W.O.R. Mutual. And Alec, what about our story for next week? Well, next week's story started off as a simple question of who stole the firm's funds. But it ended up by being the very perplexing question of who killed two men and caused the death of a third. And not the least puzzling part of the case was to find out who fired the fatal bullet which started off the murders. Isn't that usually the most puzzling part of a murder story? Well, yes, it is. But in this case, the man who was killed was standing by my side in the corridor of a large office building. And there was no one around at the time who could have fired the gun that killed him. I'm afraid I'm getting more mixed up all the time. <laughs> That's exactly how we felt about it. But Nick cleared it all up in spite of everything. And we'll tell you all about it next week. So long. So long, folks. And so long to you, Nick and Patsy. See you next week. In the strange adventure you've just heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate, and Scubby by John Kane. Original music was played by Lou White. The entire production was written and directed by Jock McGregor. The Return of Nick Carter is produced in the studios of WOR and is broadcast over most of these stations every Monday evening at 9.30 Eastern Wartime. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by Escape Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.